Hello everybody, my name is Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night uh, Live. We've got a great uh, show tonight. We've got Tim Durkin from uh, Texas, from Granbury in Texas, uh, a long-term friend of mine. And I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, Tim in a minute. But uh, first of all, I want to tell you about a problem I had. And uh, when I'm helping clients with their negotiation skills, um, very often we have to... Uh, get the drains up and have a real think about what's going on. And the preparation can often be much longer than actually the negotiation. So that's the only way you can really do a negotiation. So I, I got a problem next week, and this is the challenge that I always give myself when I've got a problem. I put the nine dot problem on a flip chart like this. And I'm sure you've all seen the uh, nine dot problem, but you might like to do it yourself. Put nine dots on a piece of paper while you're listening to me. And I'd just like you to join them up with four straight lines without taking your pen off the paper. Now, what actually happens with this is a lot of people have seen it before, can't remember how to do it. And I think it's a great thing for negotiations to think about what your variables are, what the takeaways are, what the USPs are, what all the things that you're gonna put in to the negotiations before you start it. So for those of you that can't remember how to join the four straight lines up, the uh, nine dots up with four straight lines, this is how you do it. Down here, outside the box, up here, outside the box, across here, and down there. And I often use that at the start of uh, my talks. I've never done it on Zoom before, but I might do it on Thursday if you tell me that uh, it worked all right and you can see it because it's, uh, it's great to use a flip chart on Zoom. They all expect you to be using slides and all that. Um, and then I say, well, everybody knows how to negotiate. Kids are fantastic negotiators. When you're negotiating, the real issue is to get into this arena here where people haven't thought about and use those to increase the value, uh, decrease the costs, think about the relationships, pause before you uh, reply when someone's winding you up, etc., etc. And I'd just like to know if it's okay before I introduce Tim, how many people could remember how to do that? Hands up, please. How many people remembered that? Four, five, only five people. And Frankly, you are the, I only invite absolute experts on this program. The rest get, have been axed off the list. And guess what? Only five of these absolute experts got that. Uh, um, Derek, so, I would recommend that if you're going to do that, um, that it, you use a broader marker because I, for me, it's hard to see the, the answer. Um, okay, so Tim, I, well, I, thank I you. would do that. Okay. Thanks for that. We're, uh, I'm not going to waste any more of your time with this. So the problem on Monday night is that I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be in London. So the solution to this that I came up with is Monday Night Live next week will be Tuesday night. So Monday Night Live is now Tuesday night, and it's with our old friend, Will Kintish. Um, so, Will, thank you to, for agreeing to change Monday Night Live to Tuesday Night Live, never been done before. Another first for Kintish and I. Okay, now what I want to do now is introduce my uh, friend, Tim Durkin. 
Tim and I first met on the 10th of January 2007 at 7.05. Tim, being an introvert, was sitting in the bar at the Marriott, Marco Pipe, Marco, Marco, Marco Island, I nearly said Marco Polo Island, Marco Island, enjoying a rolling rock beer on his own, just like John Baker and I like to do because we're introverts when we've been at a conference all day. I was attending the uh, National Speaking Association's conference at Marco Island University, and I'd had enough of uh, talking to people. In fact, I was the only, I was only one of three Brits on the uh, on the seminar. So I decided to go up to Tim. He looked a nice guy and talked to him. He gave me daggers, I think, to start off with. But uh, four rolling rocks later, um, and uh, another 14 years later, we've become great friends. And uh, Tim's a great pal of mine. We're on the same page. We're lifelong learners. And uh, uh, Tim, that was brilliant that we did that. He gave me a copy of this book, which he'd written, uh, Promise Performance. Uh, which I've uh, kept on my bookshelf ever since. And it was a great pleasure to get this book through the post for me to send on to one or two of you points of impact. Tim, welcome. Thanks for joining us once again. This is the sixth time you've appeared on Monday Night Live. I thank you that you hold the record at the moment, but uh, maybe you will go to the seventh one as well. Well, it's but a pleasure to be here. And I do believe that Will will break the tie uh, probably next Tuesday night. Uh, so good, good on Will. You don't, you don't have a record. You just hold it momentarily. Tim, uh, Tim will, will will probably hold the, the record for Tuesday night live for a while, but uh, <laughs> yes, but yes he will. So, Tim, it is a tell, pleasure. Tell us about this book. I've uh, thumbed it. I've turned the pages down. My wife hates people doing that. She's totally against it. It's the most sacrilegious thing you can do. How did you go about the book? Tell us about that first. Well, um, you know, I've been involved with leadership development for nearly 30 years. And uh, throughout that time, whenever I get a good idea, um, whenever luck or chance favors me and, and I come up with an insight or that I read something that is, uh, you know, basically profound, um, I collect them and I used to type them out. I used to handwrite them. Um, and then I started using a smaller book, a, a small journal-like book. It's not a diary. And I discovered that these small books like this have a name and they're called commonplace books. And commonplace, they've been around actually since Aristotle, but the person who gave them the, a real impetus is uh, your man, John Locke, who in the late, late 1600s uh, came up with the term commonplace, referring to common topics. And he would make notes on ethics. He would make notes on poetry. He would make notes on ideas that he wanted to write about or speak about. And so commonplace books became common things. Well, commonplace books is a gathering of insights. Now, I no longer write them on the, uh, in a small booklet because we are gifted with a commonplace book app on all of our phones. And it's, for Apple, it's called Notes. I'm not sure what it is on Android, but I started keeping the notes on my iPhone and I got uh, insights, if you will, and I got 936. Well, I thought 
if I'm going to serve leaders, it's said that leaders are readers. And I kind of disagree with that because most of the leaders that I know are very busy and the hours that they don't spend working, they have obligations with family. They also have obligations with community. And by the time they open a book, it's time for their eyes to close. So I wanted to find a way to provide leaders with insights, gems, pearls of wisdoms, seashells, whatever you want to call them, in one small format. And I came up with the commonplace book uh, idea. And so out of the 936, I put 106 in this book. Um, and um, that was really, that, that actually took a couple of years to, to winnow the group. Every idea had to audition for inclusion. And um, as, as it went on, some of the ones that were included got excluded and um, basically a lot of fun. Great, 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 great. So we know what the issues were. Did you get writer's block? Now I was reading that the great author Val McDiamond um, in the Sunday Times writes for 20 minutes and then has a gap. And I thought, what a great idea because uh, you know you can really go for it for 20 minutes. How did you do it? Well, um, I, I basically have, um, I forget what the word is, but I basically have continuous writer block. Uh, it's when it unblocks that I write something down. I don't have a prescribed way of writing. I don't write for like a half an hour in the morning, um, which people have recommended. I don't write for a half an hour in the evening. Um, it takes a great, great deal of discipline uh, to write, um, which I don't possess for writing. Uh, but I do get these insights or I will read something. The thing I am disciplined about is reading. I read two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Um, so it's often during those times um, that I will come across an insight or I'll close the book or whatever I'm reading. And then when I go to bed, um, something will coalesce and I will have uh, uh, um, an insight. And I keep a pen and pencil near my bed and that's how I did it. That's why, by the way, the book took so long. Fantastic. I, I remember when I was uh, writing the book for Pearson and if it who works for uh, Pearson's on this call, it was only when I was chased by Eloise Cook, the editor, and she got on my case that I actually got down and wrote bits because my mind yeah. had just gone blank. Now, Tim, you published this yourself. Uh, tell us about how that worked. Well, that that was really that was really almost a joy in, in many ways. And I'll tell you, the biggest joy was the amount of money that I saved by publishing it myself. The first book that you mentioned, Moving from Promise to Performance, that cost me thousands in editing, cost me thousands in printing, it cost me um, thousands in design. Um, and then you know, I had to buy my own books and, and hopefully sell them. Um, and I do believe probably after 10 years, I might've broken even. But Kindle, Amazon has something called KDP, Kindle Digital Publishing. So the way that I wrote this book is I wrote it and I put it in Word and I had each page uh, paginated. And then I went on to a very, very useful website, which I believe I've mentioned here before, but I strongly recommend is Fiverr.com. And it's spelled F-I-V-Victor-E-R r two r's dot com and i found an editor and uh, she took my mashed up english and my 
horrendous uh, punctuation, etc. And uh, she made it read very well while keeping my voice. So I found her, and by the way, her name is Nancy. I can give you her um, uh, contact information if you like, but she helped with grammar. And she uh, keeping my voice is very important because I, um, throughout the book, you might've noticed I, I'm a little bit edgy. I'm a little bit direct. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to write with that tone, which is sometimes my tone, but not often. But I wanted to be really direct because leadership, I, I, you don't mess around as a leader. You, you really have to be a little bit serious. You can be kind, you can be compassionate, um, but you're the leader and you're responsible for people. And so I don't, I don't pussyfoot around uh, that topic. So anyway, she did that. Um, that was a um, hundred dollars, okay, <laughs> or a hundred pounds, whatever. And then I went to Kindle. Oh, and then I I needed somebody to format it because if you know how to format it, you don't have you can send it right to uh, Amazon Kindle and sign up, and it, it's it's a very simple process. But you have to go through a number of steps. My problem was making it fit into the Kindle and to the book format. So I hired one more person from Fiverr to do that for me. There's a bunch of people on there that say, hey, have you written a book? If you wanna publish it on Amazon KDP, Kindle Digital Press, I will, help, I will put it in the format for you. Well, that was the best 50 bucks I ever spent right there. And they did it. What Amazon did, and for those of you who already have the book, is I wanted it four by six. I wanted it to fit in my pocket. And uh, the, the problem was the, they didn't adjust the type font size. And so I've got a very small. So uh, anyway, I bought a hundred copies, two bucks each uh, for my own. And um, I will now do another edition and I will correct uh, the size of the font, uh, but I'm going to keep it four by six. So all of that is to say, um, I hired two experts for a total of about $150, and now all I have to do is buy the book, and I get the book at just over two dollars. So, I, I really, I really want, I really feel strongly that we all have a book inside of us, and if the only audience is our loved ones, what's wrong with that? So, please don't leave without with your book inside of you because it's it's not expensive and and it might make a very heck, a heck of a nice holiday gift yeah no just just a few things on that and if, if it's listening uh, we might talk to her afterwards but there's there's three types of publishing number one is just do it yourself like you did which is the cheapest number okay. two is where people offer you publishing but actually they're going to charge you quite a lot of money for doing yep. things that you can do yourself quite easily, like ISBN numbers, et cetera. And then there's the third type, if you're lucky enough to uh, get someone like Pearson to come along like John and I have um, and ask you to, to write a book. But I'm very wary of that middle road because people tend to make a lot of money out of that and it's, yep. they're running it as a business and they're selling it like, you know, we want you to publish a book, but it's not. It's a uh, it's a yep. way um, a way of doing well, that. So, uh, the, yeah, yeah. The uh, the thing that I want to mention is uh, with Kindle Direct Publishing, I didn't have to buy an ISBN number. They bought it for me, 
the cost for buying ISBN BN numbers, if I, if I was going to do it myself, would have been more than the entire cost that I had incurred before that. So um, Kindle Direct Publishing is great. And my goal was never and will never be to write a best-selling book. I just want to write the best book and sell it. We're going to turn to the book now, Tim, because there's so many tips in here that I want to uh, I want to ask you about all these pages I've got turned down. So uh, okay. I'm going to give you a time limit on uh, each each uh, each Please tip. Do. So you've I'd got to go for that. it. Page 87. I work backwards. I always read books backwards. I flick them like that, and it's, uh, it's thinking outside the box as well. It keeps me up. It keeps me speedy. Um, straight, not straightened. Said by Marcus Aurelius meditation book what's that all yep. about straight not straight. marcus aurelius wrote the first and still the best book on leadership as he was preparing because he knew he would one day be roman empire roman emperor excuse me uh he knew he, he wanted to write thoughts to himself about how to be a good leader he started out interestingly enough by thanking everyone in his life starting with his father mother and going through um it, it, it it's just a wonderful book especially if you get the right um, translation. Straight Not Straightened was his advice to never be tempted to do something for which he would then be sorry for, or he would be ashamed for other people to know, and he would have to apologize. He would have to straighten out. He says, just be straight, and you never have to worry about having to get yourself or somebody else straightened out. So, uh, you know, in three words, that's awesome life and business advice fantastic okay i'm keeping going tim i'm keeping yep. you to to our timing page 76 the paradigm of command and control is being replaced by connect and collaborate absolutely most of our, our organizations are built on military um it, it, the military design uh hierarchy hierarchy is dead wirearchy Hierarchy goes this way. Wirearchy goes this way. It is not who, um, who you know. It's who knows you. And the key is to be able to connect and collaborate because it no longer matters as much who you are, but it does matter how you are. How do the other people in the organization view you? And do you uh, can you cross silos? Can you be seamless so command and control which is this kind of power uh the power paradigm is fading quickly and the collaboration paradigm is up there especially this is being led by the millennials but that that will not stop with the next gen okay fantastic uh page 68 um be hard on the issue, but soft on the problem. That's, of course, of one of, uh, one of my negotiation tips in the book as well, in my book. Uh, praise in public, correct in private. So many times we've seen that done wrong. Yep, yep. Uh, there's, there's no need to berate somebody, especially if you want them to continue to work for you. Now, they may continue to be in your employment, but they'll stop working for you. Um, they, you know, they'll run, they'll RIP, they'll retire in place. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I, if you're going to correct somebody, correct them for what was done. Get, talk about the process, talk about the problem. It, the way I like to say it is fix the problem, not the blame. 
Absolutely. Let's turn. I'll give you a bit more time because this covers four pages. The uh, the Viva model, Valor, Vision, Vitality, and Values, page fifty three. Why is uh -huh. it called the Viva model when there's four Vs rather with two eyes in it? Well, it's V I V A. It it was called V I V A two, and it's called that because that's the name I gave it. Um, the one of the things I wanted to do is distill a lot of ideas into a short idea and to a model. Nigel has you know, worked in academia. Um, if you're gonna come up with some new ideas, you really have to be able to put it in the form of a model. So um, as I knew this and I, facing this, I wanted to come up with a model for four basic fundamental ideas around leadership. And uh, I came up with the ideas and then it just so happened that I could create uh, a mnemonic for which is V-I-V-A. So to talk about them is the first V-I stands for vision. And I, I tell people that you need to give people a vision. The Bible says man with mankind without a vision will perish. Okay, people, if they don't have a vision, if they don't have something to shoot for, they will not move. Confused people won't move doesn't mean they won't do anything, as I mentioned before. There will be activity, but there won't be accomplishment. Uh, so that's, that's the key idea with the vision. And it's the leader's job to articulate the vision up to literally, if you're CEO or C-suite, maybe a thousand times a month what the vision is, because you people need to be reminded of the vision. I work a lot in healthcare. Healthcare is now so stressful and the job is so tough that people tend to forget that they have the greatest job in the world, helping people in their greatest time of need. So they get to be at their best when they're helping people at their worst. That's a great vision. That's a compelling vision. And that's, that's what they do. The first BA stands for values and values are just bedrock. Um, the, the, the values create the goals. The goals have to have standards but it all comes back to what are the values of the organization? And here's the key. They can't be espoused values. They have to be lived values. You can't, I, I've worked with companies, I know of companies that they have wonderful, glowing, poetic value statements, which in the day-to-day -day world that they exist in, they ignore, especially ignore them to their customers. So they have to be lived values, not just uh, uh, espoused values. Now, one of the things I recommend, an exercise, and uh, a very few people have ever done this exercise, but the ones that do have gotten back to me, is do a values audit. Ask the people that work for you what their five top values are. You might have to have them Google values. They'll get a list of two, three, or four, or 500, and they'll pick from there, pick five, then ask them what they believe the company's values are, five, and then ask them what they believe your values are, five, and then you do it yourself. You gather them up and you start reading what people's values are, what they believe your values are, what they believe your company's values are. And all I will say is reality is an acquired taste because that is going to probably be a very eye-opening experience. Third V or second VI, third of the Viva model, that is for vitality. Whether you're in the healthcare business, the banking business, the 
television broadcasting business, financial, real estate, whatever, you have, you're really in the energy business. If you are a leader, your job is to use your energy, directing the energy of your people to get your company's best results, to get better patient outcomes, to sell more, um, uh, sell more, uh, uh, what, what am I saying? Financial programs, financial benefits, to sell more real estate, whatever it is. So you have to manage energy. And in order to do that, you have to have vitality yourself. Nobody wants to follow uh, Eeyore, uh, if you remember from Winnie the Pooh, everybody wants to, uh, they're attracted to people that have this energy, this vitality, uh, this, uh, this suave fair, whatever you want to call it. Um, you definitely want to do that. And then the, the second VA uh, is the for valor. Um, I, I believe in um, courage, temperance, knowledge, uh, uh, some of the stoic philosophies. Courage was the original word, uh, but it didn't fit into the model, the Viva model. Uh, it would have been Vika or something. So I, I went with Valor, and I actually like Valor better because it really does take courage to be a leader in these times. You have to have the difficult conversation. No problem ever got better by ignoring it. And the other thing is avoidance is the arch enemy of accomplishment. So you, you have to have the valor to do the right thing. You have to be brave. And, and sometimes you get tired. Work until the job is done, not until you're tired. Uh, that's, a, that's a very, very key one. Um, so that's the, uh, that's the Viva model. It's vision, values, vitality, and valor. Um, and and I, I think if we followed those four, as the Stoics followed their four uh, basic things, their basic values, if you will, I think it's going to be, uh, I think people will be very successful. And I think they'll enjoy the work. Thanks for that, Tim. We're moving at quite a pace here with lots of, uh, lots of uh, fantastic information. And I'm going to keep going, if I may. Page 45. I love this. Commit these sentences to, in this order to memory. They will guide you as an effective leader. This is what I heard. This is what I think. This is what we are going to do. There, there's a, there's an MBA um, in leadership, I think, in those three phrases, uh, those three sentences. W what I mean by that is if you're the leader and you're you're facing a problem, of course, you talk about it with your team. You don't tell them uh, without talking about it. You share them. You do the collective wisdom sort of thing. And so when you say this, these three phrases, this is what I heard. That means you listen, and that's very important for leaders to be known as a listener. As a matter of fact, it is the number one leadership skill by multiple studies, uh, replicatable studies, so uh, that you want to make sure that you listen. So this is what I heard, which indicates you listen to them and other people. This is what I think, which means you took some time to think about it, evaluate it, and so on. And then this is what we're going to do means you have made up your mind and it flashes a neon sign that says, I'm the leader. This is what we're going to do. So this is what I heard. This is what I think. This is what we're going to do. And whether you're a leader in an organization, whether you're a leader in a family, 
I don't care how small or large the family is. If you're a leader in a charity, please listen to those three statements. This is what I heard because there's so much behind it. So that's a literally okay, one Tim. of my favorite Well, I'm going to, we've got a few leaders on here. I am going to ask them later what uh, would they be asking the team what they think before they make their minds up. And I can see one or two of them smiling. Uh, well, that's that collaboration. Uh, that's the collaboration and connection being paramount now. So I, I hope so. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, buddy. No, no, that's fine. Page 42, you can manage by the numbers, but you can't lead by them. I love that one. Yeah, you can manage by the numbers. Um, you, you know, just uh, just just be careful about being tied to the numbers because the numbers don't tell all of the story. Um, I think it's a, a, a misnomer. If I looked at the numbers that people were producing on a team at certain times, it would look like the team wasn't doing well. What the numbers don't tell me, however, is the amount of energy effort that they are expending um, that are putting into place those factors and conditions which will uh, create an explosive positive outcome. So um, yeah, it's not all about being by the numbers and whatever you do, make sure your people never feel like they are a number. I'm going to um, I'm going to pick two more out, Tim, and then I'm going okay. to throw the chat box open before we finish the session. And it might be a good idea to have another session on this in due course yep. if if you're uh, up for it. Um, mm -hmm. Now, page twenty-two. This is the ultimate energy management. You say energy is your strongest currency. I'm with you 100% there. And of course, uh, there's a number of speakers on here, and it's so important to transmit your energy to the audience and so many speakers just don't do that. Yep, yep, uh, What was when it comes to speaking, uh, I heard an advice a long time ago and I took it and it says, fall in love with your audience. Find some reason to fall in love with your audience, they will feel it absolutely right away. Um, but the, the, the point there is that a lot of people put a lot of energy into setting their intention, which is their goal. And then they think about their goal, think about their goal, think about their goal, and they're, they perseverate on their goal. What I'm suggesting is that if you set your intention, then you let it go and pay attention to your attention. Time is not our greatest asset, our greatest gift. Our greatest asset, our greatest gift is our attention. What are we using our time to pay attention to? So when I've worked around, and, and you know about the work I do with mental management systems, elite athletes and performers, what I, do, what I see them doing is they set the goal. I wanna be world champion. And from then on, they just pay attention to their attention. They, they avoid distraction. They avoid anything that will stop them from getting their intention by paying attention to what their attention is. And I, I think that's very, very key. Last one from me. I see we've got um, one in the uh, chat box already. I love this one. Managing is about control. Leading is about unleashing. Who yep. or what yep. can you unleash? I'd like to put that also to the group watching this because there's you know, 22 powerful leaders here that can make a difference to other people. That, that's a very powerful one. Uh, this, this is, boy, I'll never forget how when this went into the commonplace or when this into the notes. I read this quote by Harriet Rubin, which said, freedom is a bigger game than power. 
Power is about what you can control. Freedom is about what you can unleash. And if you look throughout history, even recent history, the, the yearning for freedom, the desire for freedom, our civil rights movement, the founding of our country, the, it, it was all about freedom, the Arab Spring. Freedom will trump power, no pun intended, every single time. And because it's so, so when we're managing, it's about control. But when we're lead, what, what, what we can control and making sure that our people control things. But when we're leading, it's about unleashing. It's about what can you unleash. And once you give people permission to try and protection if they fail, as long as they can tell you what they learned, you're gonna unleash creativity and energy in ways that you can hardly imagine. Fantastic. So Amy's put a question, Amy's put a question in the chat box, page 75, Tim, uh, focus on being brilliant at the basics. But here's the question, what are the basics? Well, you know, with the basics with our business is to have a strong opening, two or three points and a strong closing. Um, if, if you're in Will's, and I don't want to speak for Will, but if you're into networking, have a way to approach people, have a great opening line, uh, know how to handle the, uh, the, the groups of three and look at, so it's, it's all about in football, it still comes down to running and kicking. Okay, it doesn't come down to the bicycle kick, or it may come down, but you can't get the opportunity for the fancy kick or the fancy header until you know the basics. So we talk about staying with, the, I talk about staying with the fundamentals, be absolutely brilliant at what is basic. In, in American, in baseball, it's hitting a ball going 100 miles an hour, sometimes with a curve to it. Um, if you can't, that's basic baseball. If you can't perform that, you're not going to play very long. All right. Um, in selling, it's still asking questions. It's listening. It's the basic stuff. As a matter of fact, there's a um, Neil Rackham, again, a, a, a nice Englishman, Neil Rackham invented spin selling. And he proved that sales productivity went very down very quickly, very dramatically, when the sales rep stopped the basics and started getting fancy, stopped listening to the answers because she knew everything that had been done. She thought she did. She thought she was experienced. So staying with the basics, uh, being brilliant at the basics will yield uh, outstanding results consistently. Absolutely. You've just reminded me the basics of negotiation, first of all, or selling is to connect with the client and build rapport. And so many people skip yeah. that. And that depends in what country you're in, what culture you're in, et cetera, et cetera. And do we handshake now? Do we fist bump? What do we do? But we've got to connect or we're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah, and, and I, I think that you, you're absolutely right. That's what you know Will talks about is just being brilliant at opening and doing the, the basic things. I, I think it's, it's wonderful. I get, I get very animated about that. Can I also, because there is a misprint in the book, can I also talk about uh, one of the, the, because nobody's gonna figure it out if I don't do this. It's the one, one on page seven, 37. Um, it's, I, I, my first book had it 
the next ones I opened up didn't have it. So I don't know if people have it or not, but you should believe in ELBs. And I don't know where I got ELBs, but ELB stands for exponentially little bits. It's the unrelenting action that are small actions that accomplish goals and produce results. And I put something in there that I read somewhere that 1.00 to the 365th power which are the number of days in a year, 1.00 to 365th, that equals one. It's nothing. It's the same thing, okay? No progress. But if you did 1.01, raise that to the 365th power, you have 37.7. You have vast multitudes of one, 37 times almost. So it's, it's, it, that, that has been misprinted. And uh, I, I apologize for that. Um, well, we don't, the, we don't, we don't, we don't worry about that, Tim. I'll give you the negative <laughs> bell there for mentioning that. No one would have ever noticed that in a million years. And you're <laughs> okay. totally lost me. Okay. I just about got a GCSE in uh, in maths. So, um, Tim, we're okay. really at the end of the time of our recording now. So, um, can I thank you so much for uh, coming on, for sharing the book with some of us. I know others will look forward to getting a copy of it. And can we uh, thank, uh, thank Tim in the uh, usual Monday night uh, live way. Tim, thanks. Thank will, you, you stay thank up? will you stay on and answer? Some yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a pleasure. I, I, I certainly do. Thank you very, very Off much. the record. And if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the Negotiators uh, podcast, please like it and please join us on any Monday night except next week when Monday Night Live will be on Tuesday night. Thank you very much for joining us and see you, see you soon.